0: This episode of the OrthoBullets podcast will go over the topic of metastatic disease of the extremity, from the pathology section on orthobullets.com. Let's start this episode with a quick summary. Metastatic disease of the extremity is a malignant pathologic process that is the most common cause of destructive bone lesions in the extremities of adult patients. Diagnosis is made with plain radiographs of the affected limb, including the joint above and below the lesion. In patients where a primary carcinoma is not identified, obtaining a biopsy is necessary to rule out a primary bone lesion. Treatment is aimed at controlling pain, maintaining patient independence, and preventing fractures. Now let's get into the episode. With respect to epidemiology, as far as incidence, know that bone is the third most common site for metastatic disease behind the lung and the liver. In terms of demographics, metastatic disease of the extremity is typically seen in patients age greater than 50 years old. In terms of anatomic location, the most common sites of bony metastatic lesions include the spine, then the proximal femur, and then the humerus. Note that pathologic fractures secondary to metastatic disease most commonly occur in the proximal femur followed by the proximal humerus. Remember that there's a 65% nonunion rate, and as far as proximal femur fractures, 50% occur in the femoral neck, 20% are pertrochanteric, and 30% are subtrochanteric. Acryl or distal extremity lesions are rare, but when present are most commonly from lung carcinoma. Note that a lung primary is the most common for occult metastatic disease. As far as risk factors for metastatic disease of the extremity, carcinomas that commonly spread to the bone include the breast, lung, thyroid, kidneys, and prostate. You can remember this with the mnemonic BLT and a kosher pickle, where the B stands for breast, the L stands for lung, the T stands for thyroid, the K stands for kidneys, and the P stands for prostate. Moving on to etiology of metastatic disease of the extremity, with respect to pathophysiology, the mechanism of metastasis involves tumor cell intravasation, avoidance of immune surveillance, target tissue localization, extravasation into the target tissue, induction of angiogenesis, genomic instability, and decreased apoptosis. So starting with tumor cell intravasation, know that the E-cadherin cell adhesion molecule on tumor cells modulates release from the primary tumor focus into the bloodstream. And know that PDGF promotes tumor migration. In terms of target tissue localization, chemokine ligand 12 or CXCL12 in the stromal cell's bone marrow acts as a homing chemokine to certain tumor cells and promotes the targeting of bone. It then attaches to the target organ endothelial layer via integrin cell adhesion molecules expressed on tumor cells. Moving on to extravasation into the target tissue, the tumor uses matrix metalloproteinases or MMPs to invade the basement membrane and the extracellular matrix. Moving on to induction of angiogenesis, this occurs via vascular endothelial growth factor or VEGF expression. Finally, in terms of decreased apoptosis, know that thrombospondin inhibits tumor growth. Moving on to lytic lesions, know that osteolytic bone lesions are a quote-unquote vicious circle. You have tumor cells that secrete PTHRP, which stimulates the release of rank L from osteoblasts. Rank L then binds to the rank receptor on osteoclast precursor cells. Then differentiation to active osteoclast occurs, which causes bony destruction. TGF-beta, ILGF1, and calcium are released from the resorbed bone, which stimulates tumor cells to release more PTHRP. Osteoblastic lesions are characteristic of prostate and breast cancer metastasis. This is due to tumor-secreted endothelin-1, or ET1. This binds to endothelin-A receptor, or ETAR, on osteoblasts and stimulates osteoblasts. Note that ET1 decreases the Wnt suppressor DKK1, which activates the Wnt pathway, increasing osteoblast activity. Associated conditions with metastatic disease of the extremity include metastatic hypercalcemia, which is a medical emergency. Symptoms include confusion, muscle weakness, polyuria and polydipsia, nausea slash vomiting, and dehydration. Treatment includes hydration, which provides volume expansion, loop diuretics, and bisphosphonates. Now let's talk about some relevant anatomy. Specifically, let's talk about vascular spread through Batson's vertebral plexus and arterial tree metastasis. So Batson's vertebral plexus is a valveless venous plexus of the spine that provides a route of metastasis from organs to the axial structures, including vertebral bodies, the pelvis, the skull, and the proximal limb girdles. Arterial tree metastasis is the mechanism by which lung and renal cancer spread to the distal extremities. Now let's talk about the presentation of metastatic disease of the extremity. Symptoms can include pain, pathologic fracture, and metastatic hypercalcemia. Pain may be mechanical pain due to bone destruction or tumorigenic pain which often occurs at night. Pathologic fracture occurs at presentation in 8-30% to 30% of patients with metastatic disease. 90% of pathologic fractures require surgery and rarely have the potential to heal. Metastatic hypercalcemia as we previously mentioned will manifest with confusion, muscle weakness, polyuria and polydipsia, nausea vomiting, and dehydration. On physical exam, neurologic deficits may be caused by compression of the spinal cord in metastatic disease to the spine. Moving on to imaging, recommended views on radiographs include plain radiographs in two planes of the affected limb including the joint above and below the lesion. Findings include destructive lesions that may be lytic, mixed, or blastic, which will manifest as sclerotic lesions. Know that lung, thyroid, and renal are primarily lytic lesions, 60% of breast cancer are blastic lesions, and know that 90% of prostate cancer are also blastic lesions. Know that cortical metastases are common in lung cancer, and lesions distal to the elbow and knee are usually from a lung or renal primary. Moving on to CT, remember that a CT of the chest, abdomen, and pelvis should be obtained to evaluate for a primary lesion in all patients greater than 50 years old with a single bone lesion. CT of the lesion may also be obtained to evaluate containment within cortical boundaries. Finally, moving on to a technetium bone scan, this may be used to identify other skeletal lesions. As far as findings, remember that myeloma and thyroid carcinoma are often called on bone scan because it evaluates osteoblastic activity. Be sure to evaluate these patients with a skeletal survey. Moving on to other studies to obtain in the workup of metastatic disease of the extremity, lab should include a CBC with differential, ESR, BMP, LFTs, PT, and a PTT, an electrolyte panel which should include calcium, phosphorus, and alkaline phosphatase, serum and urine immunoelectrophoresis, or an SPEP and UPEP to rule out multiple myeloma, a PSA for prostate cancer, LDH for lymphoma, and a urinalysis for renal cancer. Moving on to invasive studies, as far as biopsy, in patients where a primary carcinoma is not identified, obtaining a biopsy is necessary to rule out a primary bone lesion. Know that you should not treat a bone lesion without tissue diagnosis of the lesion. Remember that a metastatic adenocarcinoma not identified by a CT of the chest, abdomen, and pelvis is most likely from a small lung primary tumor. As far as histology, characteristic findings include epithelial cells in clumps or glands in a fibrous stroma. Immunostaining may include keratin, CK7 for breast and lung cancer, and TTF1 for lung cancer. As far as receptor status, this can provide therapeutic targets during concomitant medical management estrogen, progesterone, and her 2 new receptor status is essential for treating metastatic breast cancer. Now let's talk about the differential of metastatic disease of the extremity. So know that a malignant lesion in an older patient, multiple lesions in an older patient, epithelial glands on histology, benefiting from bisphosphonate therapy, and treatment being wide resection and radiation is all characteristic of metastatic bone disease. Multiple myeloma can present as a malignant lesion in an old person, as well as multiple lesions in an older patient. These patients will benefit from bisphosphonate therapy. Lymphoma can also present as a malignant lesion in an older patient and multiple lesions in an older patient. Chondrosarcoma, MFH-slash-fibrosarcoma, and secondary sarcoma can all present as a malignant lesion in an older patient. Paget's disease can present as multiple lesions in an older patient, and they can benefit from bisphosphonate therapy fibrous dysplasia can also benefit from bisphosphonate therapy, synovial sarcoma will manifest with epithelial glands on histology, hyperparathyroidism will manifest as multiple lesions in an older patient, a glomus tumor like synovial sarcoma can also manifest with epithelial glands on histology, and finally soft tissue sarcomas like metastatic bone disease will be treated with wide resection and radiation. Moving on to the treatment of metastatic disease of the extremity, this can be non-operative or operative. Non-operative management includes bisphosphonate therapy, denosumab, radiation therapy, as well as chemotherapy and hormone therapy. Bisphosphonate therapy is used in lytic, blastic, and mixed lesions. As far as outcomes, bisphosphonates reduce rates of skeletally related events and allows decreased lysis and associated hypercalcemia. Denosumab is indicated in the setting of bone metastases from solid tumors and multiple myeloma. As far as outcomes, denosumab is superior to zoledronic acid in preventing skeletally related events. Radiation therapy can be indicated as palliation of pain and local tumor control. As far as outcomes, know that renal cell carcinoma is not radiosensitive. Finally, metastatic disease can also be treated with chemotherapy and hormone therapy based on the cancer type. Know that breast, kidney, lung, prostate, thyroid, and multiple myeloma are all chemosensitive and breast cancer is hormone sensitive operative options for metastatic disease of the extremity include stabilization of a complete fracture and postoperative radiation, prophylactic stabilization of an impending fracture and postoperative radiation, and preoperative embolization. So stabilization of a complete fracture and postoperative radiation is indicated for operative stabilization that would lead to improved quality of life as well as in the setting of failure of non-surgical treatment and pain. As far as post-operative radiation, know that all patients require post-op radiation unless death is imminent or an area has been previously irradiated. Remember to begin radiation therapy after surgery and know that an area of irradiation should include the entire fixation device, for example, the entire femur after intramedullary nailing of a femoral lesion. Moving on to prophylactic stabilization of impending fracture and post-operative radiation, indications include more than 50% destruction of the diaphysial cortices, permeative destruction of the subtrochanteric femoral region, greater than 50 to 75% destruction of the metaphysis, persistent pain after irradiation therapy, and functional pain. Finally, moving on to preoperative embolization, indications include renal cell carcinoma or thyroid carcinoma prior to operative intervention because these cancers are very vascular. Now, let's talk about some of these management techniques in a bit more detail. Starting with bisphosphonate therapy, Both oral and IV formulas are available. An example of oral is clodronate, and examples of IV bisphosphonate therapy include pemidronate and zoledronic acid. Complications of bisphosphonate therapy to be aware of is osteonecrosis of the jaw. Moving on to donosumab, the technique involves convenient subcutaneous dosing. Complications also include osteonecrosis of the jaw like bisphosphonate therapy. Moving on to radiation therapy, the technique involves external beam radiation therapy which is given as multiple fractions or as a single fraction in a high dose. The dosage and fraction are determined by location, symptoms, and tumor volume. Moving on to chemotherapy and hormone therapy, this is dependent on the primary lesion and receptor positivity. Moving on to stabilization of a complete and or impending fracture and postoperative radiation, the technique is dependent on location. So for example, in the proximal humerus, you can perform arthroplasty or open reduction and internal fixation. Humeral diaphyseal lesions can be treated with an intramedullary nail. Femoral neck lesions can be treated with arthroplasty slash endoprosthetic replacement. Know that a total hip arthroplasty should be performed if there are acetabular lesions, and a hemiarthroplasty is adequate if there's no acetabular involvement. Peritrochanteric lesions can be treated with cephalomedullary devices plus or minus cement. Finally, femoral diaphyseal lesions can be treated with a statically locked cephalomedullary nail. As far as outcomes of metastatic disease of the extremity, know that in the humerus, the length of the resected segment is related to functional outcome. In the femur, know that arthroplasty has significant lower failure rates compared to intramedullary nailing and open reduction and internal fixation. There is a higher dislocation rate with total hip arthroplasty compared to hemiarthroplasty, and there are higher rates of infection seen with arthroplasty compared to nails. Finally, moving on to embolization, preoperative embolization is performed for renal and thyroid cancers, and this reduces intraoperative blood loss without adverse effects on healing. Now, let's end this review session talking about prognosis. As far as median survival in patients with metastatic bone disease, in thyroid cancer is 48 months, in prostate cancer is 40 months, breast cancer is 24 months, the kidney is variable depending on the medical condition, but may be as short as six months or as long as four to five years. Finally, lung cancer has the worst prognosis with a 6-7 to seven month median survival. Okay, so now that we've gone over the major points about this topic, let's go over a few questions to apply the information and get a sense of how this topic has been tested on past exams. The first question reads, A 65-year-old man presents to your clinic as a referral for consideration of prophylactic treatment for an impending pathologic hip fracture. He was diagnosed with metastatic prostate cancer one month ago and most recently had his first course of chemotherapy which of the following is associated with this diagnosis as compared to other metastatic carcinomas? And the choices are 1, insensitivity to radiation therapy, 2, comparable likelihood of pathologic fracture healing, 3, primarily lytic lesions, 4, increased skeletal-related events, and 5, worse median survival. The correct answer to this question is 2, comparable likelihood of pathologic fracture healing. So in the setting of a pathologic fracture, metastatic prostate carcinoma is associated with a comparable likelihood of fracture healing as compared to most other metastatic carcinomas. To quickly review, prostate cancer is the most commonly diagnosed cancer and among the most common primary carcinomas that metastasize to the bone with a predilection for the axial over the appendicular skeleton. Patients with metastatic prostate cancer often present with advanced bony involvement, though skeletal-related events are rare, purportedly due to the primary blastic nature in 90% of prostate cancer cases. Fortunately, prostate cancer is relatively radiosensitive and is associated with better median survival than most other metastatic carcinomas. Prophylactic stabilization is indicated in high-risk areas such as the peritrochanteric region, and pathologic fractures may be fixed given their fair healing rates at 42%. However, it should be noted that one-year survival following a surgery for metastatic disease has been cited at only 30%. Johnson et al. reviewed the contemporary management of appendicular skeletal metastases. The authors discuss and compare the most common primary tumors including prostate cancer. They note that prostate cancer is most commonly blastic, resulting in a relatively lower rate of skeletally related events, despite the majority of patients, that is 85%, having advanced bony disease. If pathologic fractures do occur, they are associated with a fair rate of healing at 42%, which is comparable to the other common metastatic carcinomas. Furthermore, the authors conclude that since prostate cancer is generally very radiosensitive, non-surgical treatment of skeletal metastases is often possible in the absence of pathologic fractures or lesions in high-risk locations. Goodwin et al. discussed factors associated with life expectancy specifically in the setting of metastatic adenocarcinoma of the lung. The authors note that the median survival for these patients was 3.5 months, which is significantly lower than that which they cite for metastatic breast, renal, or prostate cancers. They concluded that negative prognostic indicators were more advanced age, poorer baseline functional status, and visceral metastases. To quickly go over the incorrect answers, answer 1, insensitivity to radiation therapy is incorrect as prostate cancer is relatively radiosensitive often to the point that non-surgical management of skeletal metastases may be a reasonable option. Answer three, primarily lytic lesions is incorrect as prostate cancer is associated with primarily blastic lesions and is in fact the most common primary malignancy resulting in sclerotic bone metastases. Answer four, increased skeletal related events is incorrect as due to the blastic nature of the disease, skeletal related events are relatively uncommon as compared to mixed or primarily lytic metastatic malignancies. Finally, answer 5. worse median survival is incorrect, as long-term survival is on average better than that of other metastatic carcinomas such as breast, renal, and lung, which is most commonly in that descending order. Moving on to the next question. A 56-year-old female is referred for a second opinion after placement of an intramedullary nail through a presumed metastatic lesion in her proximal femur. Final biopsy results from the lesion show a high-grade chondrosarcoma and staging studies show this to be an isolated site of disease. What treatment should be recommended? And the choices are 1. Intramedullary nail removal and radiotherapy to the limb. 2. Systemic chemotherapy and keep the nail in place to prevent fracture. 3. Wide proximal femoral resection and hemiarthroplasty followed by radiotherapy. 4. Wide resection including hip disarticulation. And 5. Palliative care. correct answer to this question is for wide resection, including hip disarticulation. So bone lesions require biopsy prior to treatment as placement of an intramedullary nail through a tumor contaminates the entire bone. In the treatment of metastatic lesions with an intramedullary nail, adjuvant radiotherapy has to be dosed over the entire bone due to implant contamination of the bone. In the case of chondrosarcoma, which is chemotherapy and radiotherapy resistant, wide resection will require some type of resection of the entire bone meaning either a hip disarticulation or a total femoral resection, removing all the contaminated tissue. Moving on to the next question, which of the following is the most common cause for an aggressive lytic bone lesion in a patient above 40 years old? And the choices are one, multiple myeloma, two, post-radiation sarcoma, three, metastatic bone disease, four, Paget's sarcoma, and five, lymphoma. The correct answer to this question is three, metastatic bone disease. So the following malignant bone tumors occur most frequently in patients 40 to 80 years old in order of decreasing frequency. Metastatic bone disease, myeloma, lymphoma, Paget's sarcoma, and post-radiation sarcoma. The skeleton is a common site for metastasis from several visceral carcinomas. Think BLTKP for sources of metastasis, breast, lung, thyroid, kidney, and prostate. Remember the mnemonic BLT and a kosher pickle. The cited article by Rugraf et al. recommends a workup that includes a history and physical examination, routine laboratory analysis, plain radiography of the involved bone and the chest, whole body bone scan, and computed tomography of the chest, abdomen, and pelvis. These should all be performed prior to biopsy. Using this diagnostic strategy, they were able to identify the primary site of cancer in 85% of patients in their study. And moving on to the final question, What is the most appropriate treatment for a 65-year-old female with a 100-pack year tobacco history who presents with a new painful lytic lesion in her femoral diaphysis? And the choices are 1. Antigrade femoral nailing with reaming centipathology for analysis. 2. Antigrade femoral nailing with adjuvant radiotherapy to the lesion. 3. Minimally invasive plating of the femur for stabilization and open cementation of the lesion. 4. Referral to medical oncology for chemoradiotherapy. And five, lesion biopsy with further treatment based on the results of the biopsy. The correct answer to this question is five, lesion biopsy with further treatment based on the results of the biopsy. So new lesions, which are not diagnosed by imaging and require surgical intervention, need to have an appropriate biopsy with treatment dictated by the results of the biopsy. While this patient has a significant tobacco history, Incorrect treatment of this lytic bone lesion could affect both her overall morbidity and mortality. As an example, a lytic high-grade chondrosarcoma may look exactly like a metastatic lesion but requires wide surgical excision, not just stabilization of an impending pathologic fracture. Intramedullary nailing of a chondrosarcoma would spread the tumor the entire length of the bone and likely require a major amputation, not a limb salvage operation. That's all for this review about metastatic disease of the extremity. Hopefully that was helpful. This is the OrthoBullets podcast, a daily audio review session by OrthoBullets, the free learning and collaboration community for orthopedic surgery education. Keep in mind that these podcasts are designed to go along with the topics on orthobullets.com. And in fact, you can listen to these episodes right on the OrthoBullets website or mobile app while going through the topic. If you've gotten any value from the OrthoBullets podcast so far, please consider leaving us a five-star rating and writing us a review on Apple Podcasts. It will help us spread the word and increase our discoverability tremendously. Also, if you aren't already, be sure to follow OrthoBullets on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, LinkedIn, and YouTube for daily high-yield content. Thanks for tuning in. We'll see you all tomorrow right here on the OrthoBullets podcast.